Hi there, and welcome back. My name is Alyssa, and today is a clinical segment. So I'm going to be taking a deeper look at one of the four methods of music therapy. Kenneth Brucia introduced this idea of the four methods in the late 90s in his book, Defining Music Therapy. We're focusing our conversation on the receptive music therapy method. We're going to talk about the clinical uses and implications of this method and how to think critically about this use of music in music therapy. Let's get to it. So within music therapy, there is kind of this commonly accepted understanding of four main methods in music therapy or really categories of how music-based experiences function. Like I mentioned in the opening, this was outlined by Kenneth Brucia in the book Defining Music Therapy. So essentially, any intervention design will fall into one of the following categories, receptive, recreative, improvisation, and composition. Now. Those are very broad categories, and the goals, objectives, and design of the interventions is really where the therapeutic benefit comes from. But each of these methods kind of help us define how we do what we do and how we present the music. So let me give an example from each method. Receptive. This would include listening to music, either live or recorded, and would typically include goals such as pain relief or relaxation although we're going to go into much more detail about that throughout this episode. But this is where the participant is receiving the music stimuli as the impetus of the experience. Recreative. This would include using a song that already exists, such as recreating an arrangement on instruments or maybe therapeutic singing. Improvisation. This is exactly what it sounds like. The participant or group creates music in an improvised way. The instruments and prompts vary depending on the needs of those involved or the goal of the musicking. And lastly, composition. This is where a client is creating music. That could be by lyric fill-in-the-blank or completely original music and words, instrumental arrangements, digital instruments, beat making, etc. The sky is really the limit with composition, but the point is that the participants are the ones creating the music. Of all of these methods, I feel that the one that is probably the most maybe misunderstood or overlooked might be a better word is receptive. I think sometimes this one can get the least amount of intentionality in terms of clinical preparation. And from an objective standpoint, I feel that this one is often seen as just giving someone a playlist or may appear that the therapist is even um, not necessary. Every music therapist employs this method in some way, 
But I want to give some deeper clinical thought and perhaps take a look at what receptive music therapy looks like and how it can and should be used. I know for myself that this was the method that I felt least confident about how to clinically present when I first started working. So this little deep dive study that I've done to prepare for this episode was surprisingly helpful to me. So Brucia goes on to describe the receptive method in this way. Quote, In receptive experiences, the client listens to music and responds to the experiences silently, verbally, or in another modality. The music used may be live or recorded improvisations, performances, or compositions by the client or therapist, or commercial recordings of music literature in various styles. The listening experience may be focused on physical, emotional, intellectual, aesthetic, or spiritual aspects of the music, and the client's responses are designed according to the therapeutic purpose of the experience. Before we go on, I want to highlight the words therapeutic purpose in that last sentence that I read. This sums up why receptive methods are included in music therapy methods. There is a clearly defined therapeutic outcome that becomes woven into the design of the experience, and it takes a lot of education and training to understand how to design the experience in order to elicit those outcomes. How does music affect emotional or physical responses? Being able to answer that question alone takes a lot of knowledge and experience. And all of these experiences take great skill in musicianship, as well as the areas that we study like psychology, neuroscience, anatomy, etc. I think it's important that we're able to clarify why music therapists are valuable when providing all services, especially receptive method. And looking for opportunities to express that clearly are valuable for advocacy purposes and also um, educating our participants. So moving on, Brucia describes different experiences or interventions that kind of fall into this category. I listed a few, but here are some of Brucia's examples. Music relaxation for children and adults in different clinical settings. Imaginal listening, including unguided music imaging, guided music imaging, and group music and imagery. Song discussion or song lyric discussion, where the song serves as a springboard for discussion of the client's life issues. Song reminiscence, the method of using songs to promote discussion and reflection. Music listening experiences based on the client's preferred music. Music appreciation activities, where the therapist helps the client to understand and appreciate the aesthetic value of music. Somatic listening, such as the use of music in vibroacoustic therapy. And his last example here is your rhythmic listening applied to body exercises, fine and gross motor sequences, and other motor behaviors. Now, the Bonnie method of guided imagery and music is perhaps the music therapy approach that employs the receptive method most often, um, since, in fact, pretty much the entire approach is built on the receptive method of eliciting imagery through recorded music listening. But for more information on um, the Bonnie method specifically, Check out episode 18 of our podcast where we talk about GIM in depth. So for the rest of the episode, I'm going to be drawing a lot from a book called Receptive Methods in Music Therapy, Techniques and Clinical Applications for Music Therapy Clinicians, Educators, and Students by Susan Wesley et al. It is an excellent how-to resource for facilitating many different types of receptive music experiences. I'm going to touch on and summarize some of the salient points from the book, 
but I'm going to cite it in the show notes in order for you to go purchase the full resource for yourself. It is definitely worth it if you want to grow in this method of music therapy. To get started, though, the authors first make a distinction between music for relaxation versus music for stimulating imagery. This distinction seems small, but it's important and it makes sense. I mean, relaxation and stimulation are the only two directions that energy can move toward. So either up or down. But it's important to know the difference and how to set up music to accomplish the different goals, depending on whether it needs to be relaxation or stimulation. Quote, the most effective music for relaxation maintains a steady pulse, is quiet in mood, and is predictable. There is little dynamic change as the purpose of the music is to enhance deep relaxation of the body. By comparison, music for imagery is more changeable in instrumentation and in dynamic flow, and these changes in the music stimulate imagery through the creation of new and interesting musical ideas. So the way that I kind of think about it is music for relaxation has very um, biologic, physiologic, and um, sometimes cognitive effects, right? And then stimulation for imagery is going to be much more of um, a cognitive and thought-based association, emotion-based association between the music and an idea or an image. Within the book, there is a chart comparing musical elements effective for both purposes. But for today's discussion, I want to pose that there is a difference at all. Many times in my relatively short career, I've heard someone say something along the lines of, next, we're going to play a song for them to just listen to, and then we will lead a reminiscence discussion. The authors here are proposing that they are not the same musical function. So when choosing music and music elements, it's important to have a clearly defined goal in order to design an appropriate experience. I say this all the time. What is the goal? Always starting there. And I'm going to reference back to that multiple times today. One other interesting note is that the authors cited what genres of music they use in adult group settings when client preferences can't all be honored and most of them chose either classical or new age music. For adolescents, they mostly chose trance music or music of India that, quote, captured a mystical ambiance. Older adult settings mostly utilized light or classical jazz. And um, one interesting note was they mentioned that environmental sounds in new age music or kind of what I think of as like spa music, like birds chirping or water sounds, Those can be disorienting or confusing to older adults with dementia. Um, The participants have often been noted as looking around the room for the source of the sound, not understanding um, that it's coming from the music. So that's something to be aware of um, and potentially a contraindication for certain music selections. But lastly, Celtic and meditation music were also mentioned as possible genres for receptive music use. So some of the elements to listen for when making these musical selections are repetitive motifs, dynamic changes or steadiness, harmonies, melodic lines, modal lines work well, and simple, slow, consistent tempo works for relaxation. 
Changes in all of these elements are often part of imagery music accompaniment to reflect those imagery changes and even kind of inspire those imagery changes. A couple things to consider also are extra musical associations. Um, That's a big area for potential for harm. Music preferences, of course, for the individual or group. Um, Preferred music is always the best option, but sometimes a therapist will have to make decisions based on age and experiences with different pieces of music, what works well, what doesn't work well for multiple people. And length of music selection is another one. Is the experience going to be for the whole session? What is the session setting? What is the concentration or attention span of the participant? And then lastly, one question to ask is vocal or instrumental music. Sometimes solo vocal music can be greatly impactful and appropriate, especially for imagery experiences. An example might be choral or gospel music. So let's just hone in a little bit on relaxation experiences specifically. I want to start with an important quote from this book that helps to clarify the role that music therapists play specifically in receptive experiences, um, specifically for relaxation. Quote, relaxation methods are used by many professionals, teachers, therapists, nurses, pastoral care workers, yoga instructors, just to name a few. Music therapists, however, incorporate music within relaxation inductions for clients of all ages and in diverse contexts. Music therapists may also provide music live by improvising on piano, keyboard, guitar, or voice to enhance a relaxation session. They may also choose recorded music, utilizing knowledge about music structure and form, genre, instrumentation, tempo, and quality of recording to ensure that the music will enhance the experience of relaxation, end quote. Using these skills, we're able to address a wide variety of evidence-based goals. For example, from the book, to reduce pain, to master fear and anxiety, to reduce distress in um, procedural support or prior to surgical procedures, to regulate breathing, especially for children or individuals who have asthma, to provide a mental escape from a certain environment. Specifically, in this book, they talk a lot about hospital patients to provide opportunities for creative thinking and fantasy and engage the imagination to promote a positive experience within the stressful environment that the patient is in. The literature on music relaxation benefits is vast and for adults includes the following. In a medical setting, for example, it can reduce stress and tension, reduce anxiety prior to medical procedure, alleviate pain, Um, and pain intensity during different um, invasive and non-invasive procedures or even rehabilitation therapies. It can regulate breathing. In mental health settings, music and relaxation can reduce stress, agitation, and anxiety. It helps orientation by focusing the client's attention on the body and breathing. In aged care facilities, music and relaxation can reduce agitation in patients who have dementia and provide a peaceful experience and enhance the experience of listening to music. And lastly, in group settings, this might be like in the community, for example, music and relaxation offers a shared and quiet experience within the group, an opportunity for group members to learn to relax so that they can use the technique at home to enhance their well-being. 
A couple things just to consider for a successful relaxation experience are one, environment. What is the um, body position of the person you're going to be working with? Um, Should they have their eyes open or closed? Should it be light or dark in the room? Environmental noises, both within and without of your control. Furniture or things or people in the space. Is privacy possible? Can you create some sort of partition for them? If they're in a hospital, can you close a curtain or close a door? Next thing to consider is therapist vocal quality. This is really important anytime um, you're reading or speaking or singing for either relaxation or imagery. And this is where our vocal training really comes into play. Think about tone and timbre, dynamic levels, breath, pace, etc. Musical equipment, recorded versus live, speaker volume, speaker quality, things like that. And then lastly, the music choices, which we touched on a little bit, and that is where we also have to draw a lot on our musicianship. So now let's move on and talk a little bit more about visualization and imagery. Why use imagery with music? The authors of the book cite that one commonly reported issue with relaxation or free imagery experiences is insistent or intrusive thoughts that distract the participant. This doesn't have to mean clinically diagnosed intrusive thoughts, but could be something like your to-do list, thinking about what's for dinner. I mean, have you ever been wide awake and tried to make yourself go to sleep? How did that go? I know for myself, my mind races often when I try to rest. Um, So using guided imagery or giving the brain something calming to focus on can allow the participant to engage in the experience and quiet those unwanted thoughts. And this is how we can practice mindfulness, Um, like training a muscle or training for a marathon. Mindfulness and sometimes regulation takes practice. It is a different kind of muscle group, um, both mentally and physically for your nervous system. And it takes practice and it takes work. So giving our participants the tools to help be able to um, kind of control those reflexes um, and those learned patterns of restlessness and dysregulation is huge. And that is a very important and transferable life skill they can take away from these types of experiences. Now, I want to make a special note here to say that many imagery experiences are not appropriate or recommended for certain psychiatric cases in particular. That can be a bit of a fragile population for guided imagery. And if a client struggles to maintain a solid sense of reality versus imagination or is actively having a break from reality, guided imagery could lead them into great confusion and a further inability to distinguish between what is real and what is imagined. There can be a lot of harm done there. So the authors address this in the book and explain a difference in the type and depth of experience appropriateness. Um, Quote, For a client who has limited concentration and for whom the therapist should provide a safe experience by eliminating extraneous thoughts, visualizations and directed music imaging are appropriate methods. For clients who are capable of differentiating between fantasy and reality, who can concentrate on the process, and who can gain understanding from the images, unguided music imaging in individual or group sessions, and guided music imaging are appropriate methods. If they cannot do those things, these are likely not appropriate methods.
I want to share with you the definition of visualizations that the authors provide, which I think is helpful for us to know as we go forward. Quote, for the purpose of this book, a visualization may be defined as a relatively static image or a short sequence of images that are used to deepen or enhance a relaxed state of mind. Okay, so I mentioned at the beginning of this um, the distinction between relaxation versus stimulating imagery. And here they're talking about um, (laughs) imagery and stimulating imagery for the purpose of relaxing the mind. Um, In a broader sense, yes, these would both fall into relaxation because essentially the ultimate goal is that the client um, is able to ground and regulate their body and come to some sort of um, perhaps understanding and move towards a state of being that is better than they were when they came in. Whatever that means to them, whatever that looks like, or whatever that needs to look like. So yes, these are both relaxation in that sense, but the goal of what they're moving towards or what they are relaxing might look very different depending on the session. So these visualizations or these um, static images, as they described in the definition, are often calming and usually nature-based scenes, kind of neutral scenes, like water, trees, sunshine, clouds, or even birds. And the goal of these sessions is to guide the client using mental images toward relaxation or, like I said, deepening of understanding a thought, a feeling, or a state of being. These types of experiences can be a great tool for practicing body regulation and sensory regulation. I think I talk about regulation like basically every day, but it is a practice and giving clients these images that they can essentially carry with them and use anytime they need can be very comforting and helpful. This is also similar to progressive muscle relaxation or PMR, which can bring and support a very grounded, present-focused understanding of the body's state. And this can actually be very helpful for clients that struggle to orient to reality as well. Getting into your body quote unquote, is something that is talked about a lot in movement therapies and a lot in trauma therapy work. And it's something that we touch on in various ways all across the Music Therapy and Beyond podcast. It's, it's all over our shop. It's in the resources that we share. It's on our social media page. I mean, this is something that we talk about because every body and everybody benefits from regulation. Music therapists have a unique ability to build these visualization experiences from music as a journey through a composition or even creating an experience to be relevant to the individual. The book gives an example of a hospital patient missing their garden. Um, In this situation, you as a therapist could guide them to imagine their garden and describe it to you, giving them a mental garden to visit and to divert awareness away from their immediate stressful environment, or maybe pain. Maybe there is a piece of music that is meaningful to them in this way, or music that depicts or supports the place that they are describing. The authors talk about how to help manage negative responses to these visualizations as well, which is a very important piece to think about. In a way, the music therapist can alter the experience in order to walk alongside the participant. 
if it's called guided imagery, then the therapist would kind of be the guide, right? So if the participant is troubled by an image or unable to break a pairing between a negative thought and an image, talking them through that negative image um, is vital. Like ask them to describe components of what they are seeing. Ask questions like, where would you rather be? Or what would you rather be looking at? I mentioned intrusive thoughts, like maybe they're um, kind of stuck on making a grocery list or they can't seem to get that out of their mind. So if someone is unable to move away from that, you could take it and suggest that maybe we go through that list, write it down, and imagine posting it to the fridge or closing the notepad for when we go to the store. What does your notepaper look like? After this chore is done, where would you like to rest? In your garden or on a walk, perhaps? Where would you go? Etc. So diverting them by acknowledging their thought or worry, and then perhaps weaving that into the script, helping them put it away within their visualization, bring them back to the orientation of those images, and then walk through their images with them. If it is distressing or fearful, as a therapist, it is important to remain calm and in a calming tone, ask, where would you like to go from here? What do you want to think about while we listen? If that's not working, then I might suggest bringing them back to body awareness and maybe even wrapping up the experience if you need to. Never, ever leave them in a state of distress and really lean into that therapeutic relationship and the opportunity to co-regulate with them. And remember that the nervous system is able to take back over to regulate with breathing and triggering that parasympathetic nervous response. For more on the science behind that, if you want to nerd out on the neuroscience, um, like I often do, you can listen to episode 14 where I talk about polyvagal theory and music therapy. And that will give you some science and some insight into how to trigger those regulating responses in the body when the mind is struggling to get there. So that's something to think about. Um, but again, being the guide, coming alongside them, walking them through it, and using what we know about the music to guide them gently through that to get them to where they need to go. So going back to the book a little bit, the authors talk about, um, briefly talk about the history of Carl Jung's influence on guided imagery and psychology, and of course reference Helen Bonney's work, as I mentioned earlier on. They lay out different types of visualizations this way. Body movements, somatic sensations, altered auditory perception, pure music transference, which is like full engagement in the music on the part of the participant. Associations and transference to the music, abstract imagery, spiritual imagery, archetypal figures. Um, this would be like using characters from legendary stories like Robin Hood, for example. Dialogue, aspects of the shadow part of oneself, and symbolic shapes, which this could be like a long dark tunnel. So the last couple topics I'm going to touch on include song discussion and life review. Song or lyric discussions can be very broad and can include many different nuances based on the individual or group that it's being used with. Components of the music itself, the song lyrics, the artist, or historical context of the song all play a role in the discussion and the relationship uh, between the person 
and the the music. So if that's a group, those are going to be different dynamics and different nuances. If it's an individual, whether you know their preferred music or not, that's going to be nuanced differently because every person has a different relationship to the music presented. Facilitation of this can look like the client bringing in a song, the therapist bringing in a song, listening together, and then discussion. Often these songs are chosen based on their theme or content, such as addiction, injury, relationships, and hope. Some of the examples of music in the book include Nothing Else Matters by Metallica um, for talking about friendship and trust, or Fix You by Coldplay for support discussions. But a newer song that I've come across lately that I just wanted to mention is As I Am by Justin Bieber. It has themes of love and unconditional support and also talks about self-criticism and um, identity. It's also just really catchy. But it could be a great song to rewrite and include more affirmative self-talk. But there's a lot of lyric-based discussion opportunities in that song. So if you haven't heard it, check it out. And if you have heard it, maybe try using it. So again, going back to why. What is the purpose of lyric-based discussion? What does it accomplish? The therapeutic purpose of lyric-based discussion is to provide an opportunity for clients to enjoy their preferred genre and preferred artists, to promote a projective technique whereby difficult emotions can be expressed and discussed via projection onto the artist or the lyrics of the song. It can promote music as a catalyst for discussion of issues pertinent to the client or clients. It encourages insight by discussion of the song's lyrics. It can provide opportunities for choice and self-expression and assist clients to understand feelings associated with current issues. Those um, therapeutic purposes were taken from the book as well, but I think they sum up pretty well a lot of the amazing work potential that can be done in these with this, this type of intervention within receptive method of music therapy. With a lot of the concepts that we've already discussed, like intentional setup, song selection, and presentation, there is so much good that can come out of this type of intervention. There's a great resource that I'm going to link in the show notes called The Three-Stage Procedural Menu for Lyric Analysis Following Song Presentation. Um, It is a document developed by Karen Miller, and she actually did an episode on the AMTA Pro podcast about this. So I'm going to put that um, link below as well. But it is a step-by-step guide with discussion guiding questions for each of the levels of conversation to help you get to a deeper understanding within the conversation. And also, as a therapist, recognizing the different stages of conversation. Now, of course, there is an art to this, guiding and asking the questions like it's 20 questions, the game is not probably going to promote organic conversation. So there are a lot of counseling skills that go into this. Monitoring participants' responses is important. And all of the therapy conversation techniques that we've learned, like mirroring, asking open-ended probing questions, reflecting statements back to the participant, etc. There is an art to this, and it does take skill and experience to be really successful at lyric-based discussion. But if you are looking for kind of guideposts and a place to get started, the three-stage procedural menu is an excellent resource. Music Life Review is similar in structure. However, the therapist and client collaborate to identify songs that encompass the life journey of the client, beginning from a certain point, 
maybe that's birth, maybe early adulthood, a death in their family, a marriage. This intervention allows for the client to reflect on and affirm significant events in their life, positive or negative, and by using these songs can process autobiographical or therapy needs or therapeutic topics. Um, I remember one assignment that I had in undergrad. I think it was my psych of music class. We had to create a playlist um, for our lives that kind of represented our lives. So we chose about five or six songs that we felt described something about our lives. And I remember going through that process and thinking, this is so cool. I actually still have that playlist on my Spotify. And um, every so often I go back and look at it and I'm just like flooded with the memories that I have associated with each of the songs. And I think about where I was in life and like I remember so much about it. And it was a very nostalgic and meaningful experience to put that together. So this type of intervention is common in oncology care or elder care or even hospice. But I want to propose that you could use this in a lot of different settings. So get creative. Maybe you work in mental health. Maybe this would be good to do with young adults as they transition into adulthood or graduating high school. Um, Maybe this would be great with patients in the hospital that are trying to process some significant injuries or changes in their life that they're going to experience now and how to put that in the scope of their whole lifetime. You could also combine this with a heartbeat song and string together these songs and memories using the participant's own heart rhythm. I'm just like, I get chills thinking about how impactful that would be. So just something to think about, but there are a lot of ways that you could use a life review um, type intervention uh, within the receptive method. So speaking of thinking, I have given you a lot to consider today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. The receptive method of music therapy is vast and very deep and can lead to some profound experiences for participants. I didn't even get to all of the topics touched on in the book that I mentioned. Um, There's so much more that we could talk about, but I thought that this would probably be a good place to stop for today. There is a great deal of therapeutic thought, planning, and understanding that has to go into the receptive music therapy method. It is not just handing someone an iPod or playing music and asking, how does it make you feel? I hope that you can take these principles and resources that I've shared today as you prepare to use receptive music in your work. Thank you for joining us today. By the way, I've listed several previous receptive experiences from our podcast, and tune in next week for another one with Miss Elizabeth. It's going to be a fun, space-themed experience specifically for kids, but adults out there, I think you would enjoy it too. We will see you there. Thanks for tuning in to Music Therapy and Beyond. For show notes from today's episode, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. And while you're there, check out our shop. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe to share our work on all platforms. And don't forget to tune in every Monday for another great episode. We'll see you next time.